0: Hey everybody, it's good to be with you guys this morning. If you've got a Bible, let's, uh, let's turn to Matthew chapter 19. We're going to be looking there about seven verses this morning together in verses 16 through 22. Um, actually what we're going to be looking at is a discussion. A, a discussion uh, with Jesus uh, that is one that I think most of us, well I'll just say this, I, I'll, I'll take the leap. I think all of us have... Maybe not just once in our life, but repeatedly over and over again. And the danger for us is that the more we end up talking to God about this, and we say we want it, and we're asking this particular question that's asked of Jesus here in this passage this morning for us, the danger for us is, as we come back to this time and time again, that maybe we start to think, well, it's just not in the cards for me. It's not possible. It's not going to happen. It might be that way for some people, but it's not that way for me. And Jesus says something very different about that. So let's get to it together then this morning. It, there in Matthew chapter 19, verses 16 through 20 is what we're going to start with. It says, And behold, a man came up to him, saying, Teacher, what good deed must I do to have eternal life? And he said to him, Why do you ask me about what is good? There is only one who is good. If you would enter life, keep the commandments. He said to him, which ones? And Jesus responded, saying, you shall not murder, you shall not commit adultery, you shall not steal, you shall not bear false witness, honor your father and mother, and you shall love your neighbor as yourself. And the young man said to him, all these I have kept, what do I still lack? Um... Matthew tells us that this is a man, a rich, young man. We know from other accounts in Luke and Mark that he is also referred to as a ruler. We don't know exactly what that means. But all of that aside, maybe you know, we can spend a lot of time trying to fill in those blanks, really figure out who this guy was, where he was coming from Jesus, some of his backstory. None of it really matters because what really matters for all of us is he asks a question that is burning at the center of who we are in our heart. And what's more, is the longer we walk with Jesus, it doesn't seem to quench that question. We actually start asking it more and more and more. And that is, there in verse 20, right at the end, he says, What do I still lack? I seem to have everything in place. I've done all of the things people tell me I should be doing, and yet doesn't feel like everything is fitting together the way I think it should. Uh, this last uh, Sunday, we had a uh, birthday uh, in our house. And what I've realized about birthdays and Christmas is as much as I look forward to our kids getting toys and seeing the joy on their faces, I equally dread the moment after they receive the toy because it means I have to put the toy together. And uh, this last birthday, um, of course, uh, our daughter got way too much stuff, and so there me and my wife are. Actually, uh, she, she does a good job because she helps me out with putting the toys together, assembling them, unboxing My goodness, the way they box these things up these days is terrible. I don't remember it being this hard, but I guess that's because my parents were always unboxing it for me. Um, so there we are. We're both working on on different stuff, and, and one particular toy uh, that Eden had gotten was uh, a Barbie barn set. I don't even know what this thing is called, but um, it is um, it's exactly what you would think it is. Uh, way too many pieces for her to lose and get upset about, but. Hannah was actually working on putting this thing uh, together while I was unboxing other stuff, and uh, all of a sudden she just starts listing off things to me. She's like, "I need this. I need this piece. This piece." And I'm like, "What in the world are you talking about? I've got my own problems over here." And so, uh, but there was this one particular piece that uh, she she couldn't find. It, it was just a it was a little long, skinny, white piece, it, and its whole purpose was to put the roof of the barn together and hold it in place. Not that big of a deal, not a piece that you really think about, and yet if you don't have it, none of it fits together, none of it's standing upright, the barn can't do what it's made to do. And and, and so I was like, okay, well let me see the instructions. I'm like, well this is what you're looking for. She's like, well duh, I know that's what I'm looking for. And I was like, okay. So I start helping her, and we're looking around, we can't find this, and I'm thinking, okay great, this toy's broken. This isn't what we were promised. We weren't par- promised parts of a barn laying all over the place. We were promised a standing-up barn that she can, you know, misuse and mistreat and break in two weeks. And so, like, where in the world is this piece? And, and the thing that I realized in that moment as I kind of saw this unfolding is there aren't stages uh, to what it's like when you can't find a piece assembling a toy. It's just blame, and it's all blame. Uh, Because you're you're sitting there, and and when you're not the one that began with it, your first thought is, what in the world did the kids do with these pieces, right? They got into it. They ripped it open. They tore it apart. They threw it all over the place. It's the kids' problem. And then you realize, well, the kids didn't touch it before you got into it. And so the fact that your spouse was working on it before, you're like, what did they do? Where did they put the thing? How did they screw this up and everything? We've had enough of these rodeos that I call birthdays that I know now. You don't say that out loud. You just think it internally. And so I'm thinking this. I was like, what in the world has she done? How has she screwed this up? How has she lost this thing? And then I realized, well, she's, you know, I, I, I think she's got it all laid out here. This seems pretty systematic, the way she's been going about this. And so it's like the toy company screwed up, and they're the ones that got it wrong. And they gave us something that is broken and defective. And it was eating away at us. Not simply because of the disappointment that we knew Eden would feel, but because it was incomplete. It wasn't what it was supposed to be. And and when you know what something is supposed to be, when you have the instinct inside of you that this is how it's supposed to work, this is how it's all supposed to fit together, this is what it's supposed to look like, and it's not that, it is a miserable feeling. Feeling incomplete is miserable, isn't it? We know this in our life, not simply because we've had an instance where we're trying to put a toy together and we can't find that one piece that seemingly holds everything together. We know that it feels miserable to feel incomplete. Not simply because at the end of a project, we always look at the one place we screwed up and isn't quite right. When everybody else walks in and says, wow, this looks great. And you're like, yeah, but that thing over there. And it's just like, don't point to it. They won't notice it. Right? We know that this is true because we feel this in our own life, don't we? We echo the question over and over again in our heart and in our mind and through our mouths and with our words and our actions and in the entirety of our life. What do I still lack? For many of us, this is not a fleeting thought. This is not a thought that comes along every now and then, and we got to figure it out, and we find an answer, and so then we, fi- we fix it and we move on. This is actually the constant of our life, isn't it? That there's got to be something more. There's something that's just not quite right, and I know that it shouldn't be this way. And so what am I not living up to? What am I not incorporating in my life the way that I need to? What more do I need? And when we feel like this, it actually becomes the driving force of our life. That just like this young man, it sends us running off, searching everywhere that we possibly could, asking the question of people, what do I need to do? Undoubtedly, Jesus is not his first stop. In trying to figure out this quintessential question of how do I have eternal life? Better yet, I have done everything. Good friends and family, religious leaders, scholars, philosophers have told me to do. I have sat down with them and I have said, it doesn't feel like my life is stacking up. It feels like something just isn't there. It doesn't, it's maybe not even huge, but there's just that one piece of my life that's out of whack, that's not there, that's missing. And because of that, it is not what I feel like it should be. Abraham and Sarah in Genesis felt this way. If you know their story, if you don't, I'll just sum it up for you. They wanted a child. They they were worried about not being able to have a child. They were well beyond the years that they should be able to have a child. And you can tell that it is the constant thought in their life. It is the thing that is under, right under the surface. That frames everything that is going on in their life. All the good things that they can point to. All the family get-togethers and festive holidays. And even just slow, take-it-easy Saturdays. They're under, right under the surface of how good those things are. There is that constant reminder in Abraham and Sarah's life, that they do not have a child. That they have no one to pass these things on to. No one to share their life with. They're worried about what will become. Not of their legacy. But they say, we're lacking something. We're lacking the ability to pass this on. We see that this becomes such a driving force in their life that even when promised to have a child and it doesn't come about in the time that they hope it will, they take things into their own hands, don't they? Sarah comes along to Abraham and says, you know what, why don't you just take my maidservant and have a child through her and it will, will at least have someone to pass our life and our belongings onto. They can't rest until they find That thing they think they so desperately need. What do I lack? And when we think we've figured it out, we go running as hard and as fast as we can in that direction. And we don't stop to think twice about it, don't we? See, Abraham and Sarah were searching for the same thing that the rich young man was searching for. And it's the same thing that you and I in our life are constantly driven by. That they were all searching for peace. And in the Bible, quite often, most of the time, the Hebrew word that comes to represent this peace that we're all searching for is the word shalom. On the surface, just really quickly, we think of peace and we're like, man, that sounds good. The absence of conflict. It would be nice just to have things in my life steady for a while, wouldn't it? To not have the messy relationships, to just not be at each other. So it'd be nice just to be able to sit down at Thanksgiving dinner and get through it with nobody fighting and no dishes getting broken in the process, right? But in the Bible, this actually means so much more than even that. It's not just simply the absence of war or conflict. It's actually, it's actually a peace that, that is in its place, a peace that goes beyond just simply stopping hostilities. Even more than that, it goes even beyond our understanding and our definition of what peace means. That in Scripture, it actually talks about shalom, the peace of God, leading to a completeness, a wholeness. And what's more is it's a completeness and a wholeness in something that is intricately complex, that is full of different parts and pieces that normally don't fit together, that we actually as people find impossible to fit together and make work in our life. In the Old Testament, actually, the shalom is used to refer to the putting together of, of a wall around a city. A wall that would have so many different pieces, so many carved stones, That if you were just to stack them up on their own, there would be gaps all over the place and holes and everything. And it wouldn't really work that well as a wall. But it says that the peace of God leads to a completeness, a wholeness. That it's like a wall that is intricately pieced together in such a way that there are no gaps, there are no cracks, there are no breakdowns in it. everywhere. Everything is working in unison together for the purpose it was created and put together for. That's the picture that scripture gives us of peace. That is what the rich young man is looking for. He's saying, it doesn't feel like my life is fitting together the way it should, even though I have all of these things, these really hard things, these, these commandments that are difficult to keep. I mean, when you look at that list of commandments that Jesus goes through there, you kind of start off, and you're like, yeah, yeah, okay, I, I got that, I got that, I got that. Those are, those are pretty big ones, and those are pretty big scripts. I don't, I don't think I have that, but then he gets down to, you know, honor your father and mother, like, oh man, um, on good days, yes, and then love your neighbor as yourself, and who does that? Even the rich young man says, I've done those things. Those things that we all find so hard to do, and yet he says it's not fitting together the way it should. It it doesn't look like the picture on the box. Something's still missing. This idea of shalom, it's not even that it's put together and it's standing right, but it's then that it starts working together. That when people would come to, in in scripture, God's understanding of peace and shalom, they wouldn't just cease hostilities, they would actually start working together in unison towards a greater good, a greater purpose. That when God puts our life together, the promise that is represented in this picture of peace that God gives us is one in which our life isn't just simply stacked back together so that we can say, Oh, look at that pretty picture. And when we don't move, but then we start moving, things get out. Why? It actually says, You're going to be filled and propelled to share this life, this hope, this purpose with the world. That you will actually become someone, something. That everything about who you are is sharing the peace and the hope of Jesus. And that all of you will work in that purpose. This is why this picture of peace and and what scripture it actually means when we look at the complete picture that we get in God's word. This is why Isaiah chapter 9 uh, that Steve read for us uh, during the lighting of the Advent candle. This is why that is such a big idea. That he is the prince of of peace, this coming Messiah. That his reign in our life, in the world, is going to be understood by the fact, not simply that things will be put back together, but they will be working together for the purpose in which they were created. Jesus is God's peace. That is one of the messages of Christmas. He is not just, though, the completeness of God. In him we see all that God is, but also all that God hopes to be with us. In Jesus we find and get a picture of this is what we were made to be. How we were made to be. How we were made to live in relationship with God. How we were made to live in relationship with each other. How we were made to show and receive love. How we were made to forgive and to seek genuine, authentic, real forgiveness. How we were made to know our worth and who we are and who God is and who God says we are. That we were made to be complete in God. We celebrate at Christmas the fact that in Jesus we see these things that otherwise would just be nebulous to us. How would we know what this looks like? How would we know what it looks like in action? They'd be nice ideas, but once you get out of the classroom, how do you make it work in the real world? Jesus is how it works in the real world. Jesus is what God wants for you. It would be great just to see these things. It would be great just to be able to say, look at how amazing that is. Man, that's what God meant for us. Too bad we screwed it up. But the amazing message of Christmas, the amazing message of Jesus is that God doesn't want you just to see it as something to say that would have been nice to have. Wish we could have felt that way. Oh, well, maybe next time we'll get it right. God actually wants more for you. Because in John chapter 14, Jesus tells his disciples, he says, peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives, do I give to you. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. This is what God wants for us. A complete relationship with him. The kind of complete relationship with him that Jesus has. God hasn't simply let us stay here and languish in the misery of constantly feel like we are lacking something. Sure, sin has entered the picture. It has screwed things up. It has broken it down. There are gaps and there are cracks. And the longer we live, it seems like the more those gaps and cracks grow and get bigger. And we know time ultimately wins out, right? Everything breaks down. And yet because Jesus enters the picture and we're told that he is God's peace and what God wants and what God means by that is not simply that we will feel good about ourselves, but that we will be complete. We will be whole. Everything that we are will be put back, right? And be working in the direction that God has, that God intended from the get-go. And so what he means is that in that complete relationship, we, it looks like us having the freedom to give God control and really believe it's actually better. That it's better in his hands than in ours. It looks like that we know that results, the results that we have in our life aren't ultimately our worth. It looks like that we can see the purpose and the value of the mundane when we feel like we are wasting our time knowing that when our life is lived to the glory of God, everything that we do has meaning and can glorify him. It looks like we're able to actually say what we're really feeling to a father that loves and cares for us and wants to hear it rather than having to present ourselves as put together and having it all figured out so that he'll think well of us. What it looks like is being who God made us to be. And when we are in the situation, the position, asking the question that the rich young man found himself asking, what do I still lack? It is proof that our soul is crying out for God's completeness in our life. His shalom. So Jesus responds. And it's amazing that Jesus responds because I think so often when people get to this place in life, our response to them is, hey, you know, I don't know if there's anything you can do. I don't know if there's anything there. But just the fact that you're asking the question means a lot. It means you're in the right path. So just keep going. I don't know if you'll find it, but eh, at least you care. Just don't be apathetic. That's not Jesus' response, is it? Jesus goes on and he says, actually, there's hope. There's a way forward. There is actually an answer to this thing. Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect. Hang on a second there, Jesus. Who's asking for perfection?" not me i mean that's that's crazy talk. i mean who's perfect who can really be perfect no, no 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 that's the i i think you misunderstood that's a ridiculous question to ask isn't it because we all know to seek perfection in this life is ridiculous right people let us down plans don't go through the way we thought they would pandemics happen right We all know anybody that is hoping for a perfect wedding, a perfect party, a perfect vacation, a perfect life, a perfect family, a perfect house, whatever it might be. If they say, I want this to be perfect, you're like, you're setting yourself up for failure. It's ridiculous. In fact, it's it's so ridiculous. I I realized this to a degree early on in my life. uh, When Hannah and I were planning our wedding, we actually said we don't want our wedding to be perfect because we knew it couldn't be perfect. We were like, we're not not worried about that. We saw a lot of people that were that way, and we're like, man, they're wrecking their own wedding. And so the harder we try to make things perfect, the more we screw it up, right? And so we were like, "Ah, we're we're okay if if things screw up. Nothing screwed up. I mean, maybe it did, and we didn't care. The only problem was, I didn't care about our wedding being perfect. I cared about our honeymoon being perfect, and our honeymoon was the honeymoon from not heaven. And so... (laughs) When you seek perfection in this life, you are setting yourself up for failure. And yet, Jesus says, well, if you want to be perfect. But he's actually talking about something different than we think when we think of perfection. When you translate the Greek word here to Hebrew, which why in the world would you ever do that? I'll show you in a second. It's pretty interesting because the word for perfect is actually the word shalem. Just in case you don't remember, we just talked about shalom. That means that this word is only one vowel off from the peace and completeness that so many of us are lacking in our life. It is the same root word. And when you're studying languages, that's a big deal. It means they have the same idea. They come from the same place. They have the same source. They're intricately connected. And the thing that Shalem means is wholehearted. Undivided. Jesus says if you want to be undivided in your life, this Is the main problem for the rich young man? What am I lacking? Jesus says you're lacking unity. You're lacking togetherness. You're hanging on to something that is not the thing that you're saying you're searching for. You value something more than the thing you think you value the most. And if you want to be undivided, here's what you can do. Because it is possible. It is possible to have a heart that is moving in one direction. Ultimately, the point that Jesus is telling the rich young man that we all need to hear, we all need to know, and is the answer to our issue of what do I lack? Is that you can't find the completeness you want without wanting to be completely His? It's the thing we're all searching for this togetherness, undivided, unified, about one thing. We all know how miserable it feels when our heart is torn in separate directions. It burdens us, and we cry out and we say, "I don't want to be this way. I don't want to live this way. I, 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 I don't want to be double-minded. I don't want to be hypocritical." And 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 so, what do I need to do to not be that? And, and actually, the answer is something we would obviously like never think of—that if we want to be complete we need to be completely his. We need to stop holding on to things that are not him and valuing them and pushing them forward in our life. That we need to be in a place where nothing is held onto, nothing is hidden, that it is all out in the open. It is all up for grabs. And when God says this is an issue, we say, you know what? I think you're right. I need to give that to you too. That it's not something that we push off and say, no, I think I got this handled. That's not an issue in my life. Oh, no, God, I've, I've I've got that covered. I need you over here. That all that your heart is wants to respond and be corrected by God. Because you want nothing more in your life than to do his will because you value nothing more in your life than the relationship you have with him. Jeremiah 29, 13, as God is is telling Israel how he's going to come back to them and deliver them from exile in Babylon, he says, you will seek me and find me when you seek me with all your heart. Essentially, he's telling them this on the front end, because he's saying there are some things that have gotten in your life that have gotten in the way. You say you love me, you say you want me, but... You're going to have to go through a process here. Some cleansing, house cleaning is going to have to take place. But there will come a time when those obstacles are going to be removed. And you are truly going to want me. And when you want me, when your heart is in it and when all of your heart is in it, you will always find me in that instance. God has not left us to languish under this feeling of lacking and not being complete and put together. But he says, look. You have to know, and it's hard, and you're going to have to get to a place that you want this so badly that you are willing to seek me with all your heart and give me everything that might be hidden and you might not even know about. But things get in the way. Like they did with Israel, time had taken its toll, idolatry had taken its toll. In the same way, our life takes a toll. Things have been said to us and we believe them at such a deep level that God says you are going to have to let that go and let that stop being a part of who you are and what defines your identity and let me be the one who defines who you are and what you're worth and what you're capable of. Some of us cannot let go of times that people told us that we will not measure up, we will not live up, To expectations that we will not be something that we feel desperately God has placed on our heart to be. And through that, we feel as though we're lacking, and so we are running in the whatever direction we think will resolve that the quickest and the best in our life. God says you're going in the wrong direction. We have things that have been done to us and that we cannot shake. We have choices that we have made and we feel that we have to live with those for the rest of our life. There's no way we could be ever anything outside of that. Or like the rich young man, we have invested so much of our life in a particular area that we say, "I just I God, as much as I might want it, I can't let you touch this because if you undo this, then who am I? I'm too invested." If you are feeling as though this morning you are missing some essential piece, as though you've got everything in front of you, and yet you can't find the one thing you need to put it all together, that is your soul crying out for what God has made you to be. And here's the good news it's possible. Jesus says it's possible. He doesn't say, just keep trying, just keep thinking, don't be apathetic. He actually says, there is a way forward. But the lesson we can learn, it's two, actually, from the rich young man this morning, and the response that Jesus gives him of being perfect, being complete, he says, first of all, your whole heart has to be in it. And if you are feeling this morning as though you are lacking something, it means there is still something in your life that your heart is not letting go of that's allowing you to be about the thing you really think you're most about. And you need to let Jesus have his way with that. You need to be willing to give it up and give it to him. Jesus gives the rich young man kind of marching orders. And uh, let me just say this off the start. I don't think Jesus calls all of us to sell everything we have and just come on a journey across the countryside. But there's a couple things we can pick up out of this that I think are important for all of us. He says this to him there in verses 21 through 22. He says, Jesus said to him, if you would be perfect, go sell what you possess. If you would be undivided, wholehearted, Go sell what you possess and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven, and come follow me. And it says, when the young man heard this, he went away sorrowful, for he had great possessions. It's not the answer he was looking for. Not the answer he expected. So, what can you and I, who probably don't have as much money as this guy did, pick up out of this? Well, the first thing is this it's probably different than what you think it is. The holdup, the obstacle in your life is probably different than what you think it is. And we're going to break this down into two subgroups. Getting really complicated now. For some of us, we like to think that we need Jesus in a particular area of our life. That we've we've self-diagnosed. We, we, we look at our life and, and we say, okay, I, I've, got, I've got this in order. I've got that in order. I, I've got over here um, figured out relationships. That is the area of my life I'm lacking in. I know that. Why? Because I was alone at Thanksgiving. Nobody wanted to be with me. So if God could just help me with your relationships, just help me be better with people, then, uh, then I can do it. Then, then everything will be great. And, and, and so we come, come to him and say, what do I lack? What is it about my people skills that's getting me in trouble with all these people? Help me bite my tongue. Help me have more patience. And we think if, if God can just fix this area of our life, we'll be good and we need him there. And Jesus says it's bigger and deeper than you think it is. It's not just that you have a lot of money, he's telling the rich young man. It's that your heart is tied up in that money. That is more important to you and says more to you about who you are than anything else that I could ever do for you. And so the only way to break yourself free of that is to give it up and choose me first. Jesus wants to look at, for some of us, Jesus wants to look at the entirety and the completeness of your life, not just the areas that you think need it. Second group in this, it's different than you think it is. Some of us feel like our life is such a mess that there is just too much to fix. How in the world could I ever hope for this completeness that Scripture talks about with shalom? How could I ever be in that place? I don't even know where to start. I don't even know where God would want to start. And so I'm just going to have to, this is where I'm going to be. This is how it's going to be. And for those of us that are in that group, it's more simple than you think it is. There is only one answer and only one thing that needs to be dealt with, and that is you need to be willing to let Jesus have his say in your life with everything in your life. Don't worry about all the stuff, worry about him. Let him point out to you what needs fixed. Don't you worry about pointing it out to him. He knows. It's more simple than you think it is. And so, whichever group you fall into, and I think we all fall into those two groups. Either way, the thing that God wants to do in your life and work on and talk to you about and have you hand over to him, it's different than you think it is. It's bigger or it's simpler. The second thing that we can see here with the rich young man and Jesus' response to this is, it's not what you think it is. You could not see this thing if it smacked you upside the head. Why? Why? Because in all likelihood, it is a place in your life where you feel like you're good. And what's more is it points to the fact that you are good. This rich young man definitely thought that the fact that he was wealthy meant he had been blessed by God. And his wealth pointed to that fact. And so if there was anything that Jesus would have applauded and not said, let go of, it's his money. Because also, ministries need money. But it was right in front of him, and he couldn't see it. In the same way, if you feel as though you're lacking this morning, I guarantee you the thing that Jesus wants to talk to you about is right in front of you, but you can't see it. It's such a part of you and who you are in your life that you would never think, this is what Jesus needs to work on in my life. And unless you stop and you go directly to the source this morning and you talk to him about it, you will run in every direction and people will also tell you to run in every direction to where you are upending the entire house looking for a missing toy piece that is right there. I was looking for this skinny little white piece all over the place opening up boxes, looking, looking under stuff, like going into rooms where I knew it wasn't because we had been in this one place at the counter the whole time, putting the stuff together. But you're like, I don't know. like Maybe like when you opened it, it flew across the room. Nobody saw it. You know. I was at the point where I was ready to box it back up and send it back to Mattel with a very angry letter until there right in front of me was a long, skinny, red piece. Didn't look like what I had been told it would look like, even from the intricate drawings that they had included with the assembly instructions. But it fit. It had been there the entire time, But because it wasn't what I was looking for and what I thought I needed, me and my wife had missed it completely. And so we were able to put it together. The barn was complete. Uh, Edom was so excited. We didn't have to send it back. And much like the completeness in our lives, it wasn't just that the barn was complete. But it was that through that wholeness, that thing brought such joy and happiness to her until a day later when her brother ate a piece of it. That's another story. God doesn't just want completeness in your life for your sake so you can walk around and feel good about yourself and stop asking the question of what do I lack. He wants it so that you can take his wholeness his forgiveness, his love, and the message of his hope in his coming to a world that is sorely lacking what God has created it to be in the knowledge of who he is, and knowing that it has been made to love him and know him for all of eternity. But you cannot find the completeness you want first until your heart is fully in it and you're willing to be completely his let's pray